This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. I'm Greg. Hey. Hello. Nice to have you guys back. We're going to be talking about Immortality, Inc. by Robert Sheckley. Yes. And it's also known as Time Killer. That was the original uh, name for its serialization in Galaxy. I think it was Galaxy. Yeah, Galaxy. It was nominated for a Hugo, the serialized yeah, version. I'd never heard of uh, the book prior to seeing it appear on uh, Blackstone's catalog. But uh, I'm, I'm always up for another Sheckley story. Yeah. This is very similar to a couple of his, his things, I think. What do you guys think? It, it, he has a family of themes that he likes to return to, and it just happens to be something that we like. <laughs> so, uh, Tam was mentioning before the podcast began that he was surprised to see that the main character is naked. <laughs> Why were you surprised to see that? Um, so, so is that, that's when he first wakes up in the future? That's when he's naked? Well, that's the, uh, that's sort of a collage of images, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Here, we're looking at the pictures from the original. It stands um, to reason that the last thing a man can bungle is his own death. But not Blaine. He has some unfinished business. <laughs> finish. Oh, yet to unfinish. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. It's, it's, so it's set up as a comedy. And in a sense, it's a oh, comedy. Yeah. It doesn't play like a comedy in, in the individual lines, but he sort of does have a comedic uh, problem, doesn't he? Oh, but he, he again, that's, he does that all the time. I mean, that that's, yeah. he always has. And in fact, the, this audio version, um, what's his name? Bronson Pinchot, the guy right. that was... Valky uh, um, from he does a, Perfect Strange. Right, right. I mean, he does the... The, the slimy salesman is a Peter Loring. Oh, yeah, I noticed you know, that. I, mean. uh, I was thinking of Russell uh, Rizzo from uh, Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, kind of, but he was he was softer. He had that, yeah. Rick, you've got to help me, Rick. You know, yeah. I mean, there, was, there was a lot of sort of uh, uh, humorous character voices in there. There was the, the mother uh, when he wakes up, uh, the mother nurse, the fat mother nurse. Yeah. Um, and she says, be a good boy now. Right. <laughs> And drink this up. Right. Those are real tears. And the wife of his body's, his body's old wife. Yeah, and, she had yeah. a pretty voice too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like it had a very cartoonish feel to it. Yeah. I, uh, but uh, I think it's a cartoon. I mean, the the it's never mentioned, but the background to it, to me, seems like some sort of uh, Buddhist reincarnation uh, made manifest. You know, so that everybody knows. Oh yeah, you just you just have to uh, be spiritually pure enough, and yoga works. They they have a yoga machine, <laughs> but it takes twenty years. I thought that was hilarious. That, that no, no, no. The you machine will discipline, or you yeah. can have the yoga machine, and it'll do it all for you. Right. It'll bend you into the proper shape. <laughs> That's right. It bend but, you, but it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but again, this isn't you know we this isn't the hereafter. This is. Whatever they called it, the the threshold, um, you know. And there's there's a phrase that turns up over and over in this thing where they talk about manipulation catches up to theory, 
And so it's about, you know, when the technique catches up with the magical thinkers. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that's the whole point here is that you, the central message is, okay, we figured out how to survive beyond death, but guess what? It's still not heaven. Yeah. The other, the other thing that really struck me, the only thing that's missing from this to make it Futurama is the robots. It's they've got suicide booths. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they've got uh, there's they've got the underground dwellers in New York City, right? New New York City. They've got right. Uh, okay. It's it's man from the past. Whoever's read, you know, who, yeah. who's creating Futurama is remembering this story and saying, "Oh, this is great. Let's put some more in." Well, I mean, I can see that Sheckley, you know, was a huge influence on on Douglas Adams. I can I can see you know Matt Groening having the same you know stuff that he read when we were kids. So uh, yeah, I didn't I hadn't seen the, the similarities to, to Futurama. Well, the suicide but, booth is the thing that did it for me. Right? Well, the, the, he's in the, a lineup. He says, "What am I lining up for?" It's the right. suicide booth. Yeah, um, <laughs> but the, the mutants in old New York under right. the, under the thing—that's that's the same. And, and that's zombies. Oh, that's right. right. I didn't I didn't think of that. That's yeah, yeah. Leela's home or whatever. But yeah, I, I hadn't seen that. But but they take every cornball, uh, you know, s- setup in science fiction and incorporate it into that show. So I, I don't know if we're chicken or egging here. Mm. But, um, the the uh, novel that we did before that it's most similar to is Mind Killer. No, not Mind Killer. That's Mind Swap. Mind Swap. This is Time Killer, aka Immortality Inc. And Mind Swap was. There's a lot of mind swapping going on in this. Oh yeah. I mean the yeah. the whole premise is is very similar, uh, except in that sense it also reminds me of Richard K. Morgan. You know his his. Um, Altered Carbon. Uh, yeah, Altered Carbon universe in which people mm-hmm. can swap bodies with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they do it through a piece of technology, right? Whereas this is uh, external to your body. It's not like something they put into your body to transfer. But it's the same idea. And um, it, it sort of it feels like um, he's dealing with a lot of the same issues that came up in... in uh, Mind swap, you know. Yeah. At, at one point, he he's yeah he's in the body of of uh, his main body, right? The the muscle, uh, the short guy with a uh, big upper torso, right? right? And oh, he's handsome. That's the other thing about it. He's got a big upper torso. He's a little bit short, and he's uh, handsome. And when he sees his old his body's old wife, uh, he acts uh, very. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's very amorous, <laughs> extremely amorous, roughly well, amorous, acts, right? He acts as he imagines the former occupant would act, right? Which but is he, not. He says he says that he, he his body's taking over, and then it turns out no, 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 that his body never would have acted like that. Right, right. Which I think was a necessary message here that that you know you insert all those assumptions even when you yourself are inside the object there's a, at one point there's a there, there's somebody tells him you you are not your you are not your body you are not your skills you are not there's a big long list of all the things yeah. that you are not and the one thing that i kept 
wondering if it's going to be on this list as I was listening to it was your memories because I think that that's got to be most as closely associated with who you are. The thing mm-hmm. over there, that robot over there, is me if it remembers all my experiences. Not because it has the same personality as me, you know, or dispositions or body, but that it remembers being me and doing all those things that I've done. And yeah, that but, wasn't but, but, on the list. But it also cool. wasn't saying, yes. what are your memories either, so... I, I think that you... I mean, what they were saying was there's a there's an energy field which the clergy separate from your soul, which we're going to refer to as your mind, which can be strengthened to the point where just because your body dies, it doesn't. Um, and they were just trying to... You know, you you are... I mean, there's a synergy. You, you, you do have experiences. Those experiences... Uh, in large part, make up who you are, but it's the way you categorize them, put them together, take lessons from them, that sort of thing. So if you just took my memories and put them in a robot, he would still have to perform the process of reaching conclusions about life from those memories, and he won't take the same route I did. Uh, Can you be sure about that? I think it, it... from probability and statistics, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, hundreds of trillions of assumptions. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I, I think that that's, that's right. Just like, you know, identical twins raised in the same household, you know, sleeping in the same room in different beds. But, right. you know, one's on the left and one's on the right and they get the same food for breakfast and they, they go everywhere together. They're still going to come up with different conclusions uh, when they're separated and given the same situation. Not massively different, but there'll be slight differences. And and yet, I would be much more sympathetic to saying, you know, I'm not saying they're the same person, but they're certainly very close to being the same person if they have very much identical experiences. You know, if if you give them all the same movies and you give them all the same... Uh, dates and you give them all but, the same everything aren't they the can't, same you can't do that that's um okay why did communism fail every month everybody gets a, a whatever a pound well, of sugar hasn't for some people well no 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 i mean let's just walk through the process okay every month you and i get a pound of sugar and you put yours in your coffee and um i save mine and i bake a cake and Tam downstairs, he knits, and he made a sweater. And I trade him my cake for his sweater. Now, he has a cake, I have a sweater. You got nothing, because you put your sugar in your coffee every I morning. I got all those memories all of sweet coffee. Well, and so no matter what you do, no matter how you try to equalize things, in this context, people are always going to jockey for position and people will have things that other people don't it's like harrison bergeron if you you know you can't put weights on my ankles if i'm that light on my feet you can't equalize things like that and 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 the same thing would happen with our with our memories it's just there's no way there's no way there's there's too many steps in the process for it for it to be identical in conclusion so you're saying we need the cpu as well as the memory transfer to another person 
Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, yeah, certainly. I'm not the same person I was ten years ago, but I'm related to that person. But if if we took a machine and we swapped my memories over into that, and it had a processor very similar to the processor between my ears, wouldn't that be pretty close to being me? Um, what I think of as me is not dependent on the processor. You could put me in another body, and I would still be me, as far as I was concerned. I don't, I don't see my body as part of my mind. Oh, I mean, con- it cooperates. Continuation of consciousness. I think of my body as an automobile for genes, <laughs> um, and and you know. My genes have essentially made me mobile so I can go and find women and have sex with them and make more human beings, yeah. um, which, right. which, is, which is something I enjoy, but it's not me. Um, and so that biological imperative, um, I don't consider part of my mind. It's, it's, part, you know, it's, it's, it's a requirement for the genes to continue. Mm. And I don't have a problem with a symbiotic relationship with my genes and we can get along just fine if um, you let me keep my mind where it is and I'll, I'll go find women and make more humans for you. <laughs> oh, how did we get on this topic? This is uh, slightly off you, topic to the, to the book. You brought it up. I guess, I guess. <laughs> no, um, it, started, it started with a naked protagonist in the first true. picture, as I recall. Uh, that, that sounds about right. You know what, I, I didn't get the concept of where you can go in another body and then you have their skills i mean isn't the skills part of your uh memories or your mind well your agility can change though in yeah. other words remember when he goes on that hunt right he, he he his skill is with is with a with a rifle and um what bayonet bayonet so he, he i don't think that was his skill be, of the skill of his body before although his muscles were well suited for it it's exactly. So in other words, if you put me in another body with a longer, whatever, pinky finger, so I could reach for another fret up on the guitar, <laughs> I'd become a better guitarist. Okay. But it, it's not because I didn't know how to do that in, in the body I'm in right now. It's because I had to figure out another way to do it because my finger didn't reach that far. But you wouldn't automatically know a whole bunch of music just by inhabiting someone else's body. Oh, man, I would know. If, if you made my little finger a half an inch longer... I could do so much more. I mean, it. it you wish to be just, polydactylic, have an extra finger, even. I actually, I wish to have them dynamic so that they can grow and shrink when I need them to. <laughs> that would be optimal. But, um, but so if you put me in a different body, it's not. I already have the knowledge of music and the theory and how the fretboard works and all that sort of stuff, and I know. The note I want is just out of my reach. Well, if I can suddenly reach it, I'm going to start reaching for it. Uh, me, my mind, didn't change. My tool changed. Okay. You know... Uh, that makes more sense to me, the way you say it. Yeah, it does. The The comparison with with um, MindSwap is, it, you know, Sheckley's very episodic. The There's... This scene and this scene and this scene and this scene and there's a bunch of scenes that sort of add up to the I guess the full length of the novel. But the looking at the the images, there's the there's the um, the one that stands out to me greatly is the uh, the hunt, 
right? The hunt he goes on mm-hmm. after the rich guy. The rich guy says, has the lawyer leave the uh, the room, and then he says, okay, in, in reality, I'm going to be hunting you, and you're going to be hunting me, and if you get me, good for you. Um, right. And his explanation for this was he had he had worn out the He'd worn out all of the experiences he could do on Earth, and he replaces those experiences <laughs> with "I'm going to go for the death," right? Not the right, not the um, not the death and come back in another person's body, but real death, and go on from what he's hoping for a a rich person's heaven. There's going to be two levels of heaven. He hopes <laughs> the commoner's heaven and the rich person's, and then when the hero confronts him, I think. Uh, is this is this the same hunt? He confronts him. He says, um, "What are, he says? What was it? You are. Uh, what what if you're wrong? What if there is nothing more?" And that sort of stops him for a minute. And and then the hero walks away. Uh, Blaine walks away from that. And he he didn't believe what he said, but it made the the rich guy doubt. And as he's walking away, he's doubting. His own his own beliefs, um, right? I thought that that was a really fun scene because we we get the sense that the the rich guy dismissed it but couldn't shake it, right? And and isn't that what Checkley's doing with this whole book, right? Each scene is sort of adds up to the next one, and he's saying all the different ways of confronting death. This is a book about death. Uh, you can avoid death. You can. Uh, pass through death you can right. be reincarnated or you can and then when you die, you die you become a zombie or a ghost right and then you pass through that and go into the hereafter and never be seen again or what what's he's doing basically all the different versions of explanations for what happens after you die right right that's a good point and that's that's very true he does walk through all of them um but um the i i think that the competition continues into the afterlife in this book. People get buried with things that they think yeah. are going to be useful to them as if they were Egyptian and, and we meet a ghost that is, you know, uh, competing in the afterlife. Although, I didn't quite understand, when you're a sane ghost, you need a switchboard to talk to people. Mm-hmm. But when you're a nut job ghost... You can go to their house and throw knives at them and talk to them and do all this. So I, I didn't quite get the the difference between those two. But um, you know, arbitrary rules, right? Right. But the competition never ends. Every every one of these examples involves competition right. in this life or in the afterlife. It 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 just doesn't matter. So there's there's this under message that comes through that says yeah you're going to die and yeah you're going to continue and it's going to be the same old shit <laughs> slightly different shit but it's pretty much yeah. the same yeah different dimensions same shit yeah right right exactly um the uh the the other thing that sort of stood out to me that I guess it, that's one of the few things that is not in Futurama that's in this this book is um, the th- there's the the guy who uh, wants to swap out his body and replace it and kill him. Um, yeah, the Peter Laurie guy, right? Isn't it the Peter Laurie right. 
voice guy. Go. He's he said he's trying to sell him on on experiences. Uh, you know, you can become a tiger, right? You transplant. Can, transplant, right? right. And, but it's uh, only temporary, right? Uh, but they also have recordings of those experiences, right? And at one point, he he buys one and watches it, and it's an experience that parallels his so much that I think it actually is his. It, it is. I thought it was his experience. Yeah. Black market copy of a sensory recording of him being pulled from the past. It doesn't say him, but it's so close to being, you know, all the, uh, the what we get about it. It doesn't actually say it was him, I don't think. But it's so close that it makes me think that it was him. And he says, oh, it would be a great bestseller or something. I thought that was Shackley, you know, saying my book's going to be a good seller. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I didn't understand the marketing ploy. I mean, what, what was the marketing department going to do with the man from the past? How was that going to sell hereafter? Well, I think they're, they're, they're thinking, you know, sort of in the... Uh, it, he's not... I don't think Shackley was ever in the marketing business, but... It seems like, you know, one of those big stunts where you just uh, say, look at the technology we can do. And it, it sounded like they had done it before or something similar to it before. But, yeah, it didn't, it didn't sound like a, a great... Uh, well, you know, in a world where... Doing that. In a world where nobody dies anymore, just what we need. Another guy. Right. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I, but but anyway, I, they're looking he usually, for new experiences. They're looking for new stories. Yeah. Didn't they say interest like, in the twentieth century was waning? Like yeah. uh, he had, yeah. he couldn't get a job uh, talking about his time. Yeah, if he was from ninth century China, he would be able to get a lot of work. Right. Right. But the guy who was from his century was a fake. Yeah, that was funny too. Yeah. And uh, of course, I I didn't recognize that it was a fake because I'm not from the 1950s, so. I didn't, you know, he says there's a roller rink or something at uh, Madison Square Garden. I have no idea. I've never been to 1950s uh, uh, New York. But I guess it would be more obvious to New Yorkers when this story came out that he was a fake. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Or just even even modern New Yorkers would know because there's a sure. nice skating rink there and there's there's other things going on. and. It, it, Jesse, have you never been to New York? Never, never. I'm a, you, a, you, a very you, shallow existence. You, you must go to New York right away. Hang up, leave now. Go to New York. I'm not. Um, I'm not welcome in in the United States at the moment. I don't have a passport, and I don't like doing security theater. So until that changes, I'm not going to be going. Sadly. Yeah, but the, this is an attitude that you have to experience before you die. <laughs> I, 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 before we die, I will take you to New York. Hey, that sounds good. And Show you private jet, so I won't have to uh, uh, go through no, the security I, theater. I had to give up the private jet. Oh, uh, but, but um, private Winnebago? No, no. <laughs> uh, the security theater has gotten uh, a little easier with the new machinery and stuff, but and also you you adapt to it. You know, I I have That's a belt. That's what doesn't I, have a metal buckle, and that's I've what got. I hear, though, is adapting to yeah. it because, you know, uh, we we're not overtly political on this show, but I just can't believe what I'm reading about what's going on down there. It's in, you know, I uh, I can now detain anyone 
in the United States. That's, for yeah. Any reason, but I won't do it. What? <laughs> no, I, it's I won't do it during my administration. Yeah, well, thanks. As if I'm going to be president forever. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> at, some, at some point, you have to have your trigger, trigger dripped, you know, and say, there's something going on. Uh, yeah, we, we're not... We're not. I don't want to get too far into uh, talking about it, but I, I heard a nice um, summation of the difference between Canada and the United States was that uh, uh, Canada is a country that doesn't work in theory, but it works in practice. Um, the United States is a country that should work in theory and doesn't work in practice. It's a utopian. It had a bunch of utopians make a constitution and say, let's see how this works out. <laughs> if they right. were alive today... You know, they would not be seeing what's going on and say, oh, yes, completely reasonable. They would well, say, oh, we got to go back and change things. There's a growing and enormous class of people who simply do not want to look at reality. They simply will not accept the facts. And what do you do with that? I mean, you know, I, <laughs> you get the government that you vote for. And if you don't vote, that's what you get. You know, I mean, I, you know, in, in Australia, if you don't vote, they give you a ticket. Yeah, you must. It's mandatory. Wow. Yeah. And I remember the first time I heard an Australian friend tell me that, and I was shocked by it. And then I started thinking, oh, my God, we would have, you know, President Bill O'Reilly or something if, they were, if everybody was forced to vote. Um, so... <sighs> So you don't want everybody to vote. No, I don't. No, I don't care one way or the other. It doesn't matter. These guys do what they do, and sometimes they inconvenience me, but never to the degree where... I mean, the world is always going to be what the world is, no matter how many fake images you superimpose on top of it, no matter how many Mayberries you believe exist. <laughs> uh, you, you know what I'm saying? And frankly, I wouldn't have a problem with Mayberry, because... Andy Griffith was a reasonable man. He let the town drop. All the, all the problems thing. are very small. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, there's, there's just this huge class of people that go around saying it's all that book learning what made things the way they is. It's the stupid college boys. Life is actually much simpler. And the fact of the matter is, is I'll, I'll just speak for the college boys. We didn't make the universe complex. Mm. It just is. Don't kill the messenger. Anyway, <laughs> see, it's very easy to slip into it now. It, um, it is, but I, but uh, I will be yeah. able to get out of this simply by dying. Something our protagonist <laughs> couldn't do. Well, yeah, it, it, when he starts the the story, right? He says he says uh, it's not fair. Every man has this one right: the, the right to die, right, and and also the right to uh, to. Oh, he had another right too, but the the main thing is he was kind of upset uh, that he was denied permission to die. This age old uh, pact that the universe had with you that you had the right yeah. to die, the right to no, no longer exist, and uh, I think that, I think that that it's actually uh, yeah I'm not afraid of death. It's I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of being mangled in a horrible car accident 
uh, or a skiing accident, maybe <laughs> more likely. Um, but yeah, I, uh, that's not super scary, and not because I'm. I don't know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. It's just going to be exactly like before I was born. I right. don't remember that very well. <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to it. That's good. It's, uh, you can't. Yeah, I mean, you can only look forward to it. That's, right. Right. You, there's no retrospect after a certain point. Um, but Mark Twain has a quote where he's like, "I, you know, for billions of years and billions of creatures crawling on the earth and all this sort of stuff before I was born, I didn't exist, and it didn't inconvenience me in the least." No. Oh. Typical Mark Twain. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but ultimately with this book, you do not get any of these payoffs. There is no, you don't find out what happens when you die in this book. You just die and something interim happens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it doesn't really go after the, the main mystery that everyone is so obsessed with as far as death is concerned. It's, it's just saying, look, Technology will eventually catch up with with crazy ideas. Death is just one damn thing after another. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to read What Dreams May Come to find out what happens next. I haven't read that. Yeah, well, you'd, I would prefer not to. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, Doesn't he say that it's all true in the beginning, the author? Yes. <laughs> um, and, I, you know. And that's a lie. <laughs> No, there's plenty. I mean, you know, I, I'm the same kind of person. I'm a big fan of, you know, Dante's Inferno. And I, I like that kind of, you know, giving me structure to, to, to things that uh, are, are imaginative. It, you know, I enjoy that. Um, and it's just the morality play at the center of the, of the you know, what things may come is, is kind of cheap and tawdry and everyday and Again, there's no big, it, there's no big payoff. You know what I mean? Love conquers all. Does it? <laughs> uh, I, I no, that, so. That's that, that's the um, that's the you know the end of every fairy tale, right? Or not every fairy tale. End of Cinderella, right? And they lived happily ever after. But see, the happily ever, uh, happily ever after is not the end of life. It's just the end of the story. And so that's how they have to cut it off. Otherwise, you walk out unsatisfied. Right. Like a Hitchcock yeah. episode that got banned. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I just think it, it's fun to speculate on what may or may not happen once I cease to exist. But um, don't lose sight of the fact that it's just speculation. And to try and essentially, you know, anthropomorphize the the dynamics of corporeal existence onto what is supposed to come next is, is just, you know, I, I just think too many people get too tied up in, in trying to figure out what it is. And then they get into arguments with one another and those arguments tend to get all of us killed. So <laughs> you, you think the, the reason there's conflict between Pakistan and India is because they disagree on what happens after you die. I think that's a huge part of it. I, I think I think that some part of it is that the other part is it's us and it's them. It's oh, that too. It's that, just that's the natural. tribal tribalism, and 
that you'd be able to have those fights. Uh, you know, we're Republicans and they're Democrats. They're not fighting over. They're both Christians, right? They're both Christian groups. So they're well, it's but, just us yeah. versus them. But this is, I mean, this went back to when the Brits still owned the place. I mean, when Pakistan was part of India, yeah. it, it was, it it was, was broken India, off. Right? It, Gandhi did not want a separate Muslim state, and the Muslims agitated while Gandhi stopped eating um, <laughs> until Mr. Janai, or whatever his name was, got yeah. Louis Mountbatten to make Pakistan. Um, and so it's really a kind of failure. I mean, it, if you're going to further isolate yourselves, build more walls, say us and them, I mean, that was Gandhi's point. You, you have to stop doing this. And so the agents of, you know, the enemies of progress won that game. And so they have a vested interest in, in, in making the guys on the other side of the border look like the enemy when they really aren't. So uh, I, I don't know enough about Indian politics before the British arrived, uh, but I, I, it's it's kind of I, I guess every country is different. Uh, China is an interesting case because it's such a huge country; it has this old history, and um, you know, barring uh, Mao, you know, you've got a lot of people who live together in the same. Uh, under the same flag, in a sense. And, yeah, they've had civil wars, and they had one in the 20th century. But uh, is that because they don't have the the dominant religion, do you think? Because, I guess, in a sense, communism and capitalism were two religions that they, they that, that brought about the civil war. But uh, I think Buddhism is might be the dominant religion on this planet. I mean, oh, just by oh, sheer I numbers. Thought, you know, some sort of... Uh, no, nah, because most, most people in China aren't Buddhist, are they? Well, there's many more sects. Traditional, there's, you know, traditional Confucius I mean, or whatever is. Well, no, Confucius is... It's not really a religion, I know. But, correct, correct. But it is kind of it is kind of a religion in the sense that it's ancestor worship, in the sense that, you know, respect for the... Yeah, but not like like Shinto. You uh, know what I mean? Not like Shinto's true like animism, though, right? It's like the spirit in the place here and the spirit yeah, in the place there. But it is it is true ancestor worship. You you actually be- believe that the dead become part of God. It's it's a it's a it's real, very yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't either. And and what's even more interesting is when you get into. Um, you know, Cambodia, Thailand, Myanmar, and places like that, where um, the the Buddhists smashed into the Hindus, and you have Khmer um, mythology, mm-hmm. and it's a mixture of Buddhism and Hindi. I mean, it's it's there's some really great stories in there. Hmm. Uh, you know, Rama's journey and 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 Hanuman, the Monkey King. They're not really monkeys; they're sentient arboreals. And but but anyway. Um, you know, this this stuff can't help but mix together and create this um, this soup of controversy over what goes on after you die. Now, some religions are more interested in the now, 
which is which is more like Buddhism. But if you think if you live in an oppressive area, you're going to come up with a you know with warlords and all this sort of stuff. You're going to come up with a religion that says pay no attention to those guys. They're that's not reality. Reality is only inside you. You get to make all that up, and they can't tell that really... to the people of Tibet. I think that, that they, that's I their invitation, right? They say, yeah, don't pay attention to those Chinese guys massing on our borders. It doesn't matter. Right, right. Well, no, even if they do take you and put you in prison, you are still in charge of your existence, no matter how they restrict your body or no matter what they do to it. And, and, and that is a very different lesson from the Western world, which is there's a paternal creature in the sky that... <laughs> watches you all the time and but you can't figure him out he sometimes he's going to help you sometimes it's going to seem like he's not helping you but he actually is helping you and and so you just get this mishmash of of legacy stuff that over time loses its ability to hold up as a story you know logic beats it down progress destroys the the, the previous concept and um, and so what we're left with is an age where most of the people on this planet, I think, are half believers. They they say, well, some of these things sound good, but the rest of it's just crazy. It's just I can't even. And so they they mix and match and cherry pick things that they like from from different. And that's very much the way Sheckley approached these kinds of stories. Hey, it, you brought it back. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. He's not picking one religion in this book over another. No, he picks them He's, all, sort of. He, exactly. He mixes the whole gestalt together and says, you know, well, these people believe that and they do this. And it's, it's a, it, it, you know, it's a melting pot, essentially, which is what death should be. It was serialized too, so I think he was kind of making it up as he went I, along. I think he just he sort of he's he's not a novelist at his heart. I mean, you look at how many short stories he wrote. He he he. I don't think he could sustain you know a straight novel. I, the the other one we did was um, uh, Status Civilization, right? Even that one is very episodic, yeah. um, and and that's just I think because if you he looks at the world and laughs, right? He looks at the world and doesn't say, ah, I've got a deep theory I want to give you. He says, ah, here's a theory, and then throws another one. Ah, here's another one. Right. right. And it's like, right. um, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no thesis that he's trying to uh, superimpose other than, uh, I, I guess, if the world is a really funny place and uh, let's have a good laugh. Because uh, uh, a lot of people don't seem to get the joke. Yeah, he's he's a sane Phil Dick. Yeah, it's it, he he he's very similar in many ways, uh, but his the way he tackles things are very different. He, he's not right. about the uh, uh, questioning. He he assumes that the questions are questionable, but he's not trying to. Right. Dis- discern right, the answer by shaking the 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 reality as much as right. It's it's not so thing. much about well, it's not so much about the horror of it. It's more about the humor of it. Yeah, and, that, that and, might be it. 
you know, and and Dick was funny. Um, I mean, very funny in places. Mm-hmm. But but Sheckley is going for the laugh. I mean, he's he's he everything he does exposes absurdity. And uh, you know, that's that's a really valuable guy to have in your canon. Yeah, I I agree. You know, there there is a movie version. I haven't seen it. Uh, an, a movie adaptation. I hear it's pretty terrible. Uh, really? Of this? What's it yeah, called? Yeah, it's Free Jack. Uh, I saw Freejack. it as a kid. Emilio Estevez, uh, Estevez movie. Yeah, and, and Mick Jagger. Jagger's in that? Yeah, yes. I think so. I mean, I remember it coming out. and I remember even seeing it, but I, I don't remember it having anything to do with the stuff in this story. <laughs> it's very loosely. Uh, okay. Probably a loose <laughs> adaptation. <laughs> It says, bounty hunters from the future transformed, transport a doomed race car driver to 2009 New York, where his mind will be replaced by that of a dead billionaire. That, that <laughs> sounds fairly close, except for the race car driver. Yeah, well, um, okay, uh, I'll accept that, that Free Jack is a, a riff on this, but I, I would have never thought that. I mean, there's so much more in the book than than is in that movie. It's not always the case. Well, yeah. I mean, you you can't... I mean, it's very difficult to translate imagination to visuals. You you have to imagine it for them if you're making a movie. You you don't have to... You know, there's no... In other words, when I write something, I have to think about the role of the reader. So I can choose to put in fewer descriptive passages and force you to um you know see it in your mind's eye more kind of like the magic of radio yeah or but but if i'm you know somebody like ridley scott or ray harryhausen or whatever era you want to pick um george powell those guys i have to i have to see it for you and you know that's that's a whole different bar to get over and that's why certain things even even when they're made really well, like for example, um, uh, the, the, the version of, of uh, the world according to Garp, mm-hmm. um, is is a good movie in and of itself. But when you compare it to the book, the book has all these sections in it where it says, "Well," and then Garp said to himself, yeah. and it goes on for like three pages. Well, none of that's in the movie. Yeah, none of it, because how do you visualize that? And and so there's a you know, they're essentially trying to convert unconvertible things uh, to, to turn a lot of these things into movies. Uh, and they are also writing for, you know, a pretty low-grade average person. <laughs> yeah. Well, they want it to be applicable to as many ticket buyers as possible, so they don't want it to be too complicated. You know what I mean? It's... Um, what was the date movie too? If you really want to make a lot of money, you you have to have a romantic relationship at the core. Well, yeah. Well, basically, you have to follow follow Aristotle's rules of poetics. I mean, yeah, I was just uh, I've got a post uh, in the offing about that book. Actually, I mean, it's a really short uh, essay or it's really yeah, notes, it's, right? It's like lecture notes. It is absolutely the formula for all screenwriters. In I fact, I have a book it's somewhere. It's pretty close um, to a good formula for all... He doesn't just talk about screen... You know, he, he's not talking about screenwriting. He's, he talks about plays and, and other 
you know, music and a bunch of things. But um, the the yeah. one thing that I really liked in in what I've read so far is he says that uh, things must follow logically or at least probably from that which came right. before. Yeah. And that is really what I think my big criticism of a lot of the modern uh, uh, writing I'm reading is wrong with it. It's, it's, it follows, but it doesn't follow logically or, more importantly, necessarily. That's what his big thing was. Is it should follow necessarily or probably, at least probably. Right. right. It has to right. make sense given what came before but the necessarily thing right that's that's what makes a really good story you show me some idea and then say look at damn consequence of this and you can't escape it and right he's saying that in you know you look at the dramatic form it all that stuff should follow from what came before and we in in a great work we do see that i think yeah yeah, no, no, I agree, and and that's what we object to, you know, in stories that go places for ease. You know, anything that makes the writer the writer's job easier stands out as a as a shortcut when you're analyzing the work. Yeah. So if I say, you know, I'm going to make this character do something out of character right now because I need this event to happen, and I don't have a character that it fits well enough. Um, you took a shortcut. You didn't do the work. And people have every right, and they're justified, to call you on that. Uh, but um, I, think, uh, I think people aren't calling, on, calling him on that, because maybe, maybe because in the same way, you know, we talked about uh, the Algernon Blackwood story, you know, in, when I looked at it, I said, there's something happening in here. And I'm pretty sure there is something happening in there, but it's not exactly uh, my problems with it were problems that were caused by by him not taking it maybe to the farthest extreme uh, of of logical necessity. I I think my my problem okay. with is still that that he's he didn't explain sufficiently why the guy can't tell the other guy. I I, I would object in the same Correct. way. Correct. Correct. Going back to I last think, week's podcast? Yes, indeed. Yes, okay. that was last week, folks. Go, go back to it. So, but here's the thing. <laughs> See, okay? you, like you were saying, time and... <laughs> it all happens at the same time. It all happens at the same time, yeah. I, I don't... It's been a long time since I looked at this, and I don't remember all the various <laughs> types of characters and things. Um, but you have characters that are um, flat and characters that are round. Right. So you can make up a character that's whatever, the gum-chewing hooker, the, the, the screaming city editor. You know what I mean? He's a one-dimensional character. Yeah. Um, and then you've got round characters, which means, um, yes, he's flat in as much as, you know, he's the janitor at the high school. But then you find out he was actually a Russian physicist. So now he's round, yeah. okay, because he has a second dimension to him. And... I, I think most of the problems in writing is when you've got a bunch of stock flat characters and you need to round them and you round them one way in one episode and next week you round them a different way. And so the continuity breaks apart and you, you can't, it, the characters become impossible. 
and that this is the breakdown in logic and why things don't follow through. Mm. It's because on this week's episode, I need the character to be jealous. But on next week's episode, I need him to be thoughtful and not jump the gun. And so you give me conflicting character traits and I never actually get the rounded character that I need. What I get are variations on the flat theme. But isn't this a symptom of of us being living in a serial world, right? Where, you know, if if you said to William Shakespeare, I, hey, we'll love your last play, but uh, for this new Hamlet project you're doing, you know, we're going to have to make it a series. So I envision 17 seasons and or maybe eight seasons, let's say. <laughs> that seems more reasonable. Right. Eight seasons where in the first season you can do a little bit of characterization. He, he, he would say, no, no, I'm going to do... If I'm going to do a series, it's going to be Henry the Third, Henry the Fourth, and Henry the Fourth Part Two. But that's it. Right? He's right. not going to go for the uh, the uh, the whole serial thing, even though you know he's a commercial success. Uh, I don't think his stuff would work uh, that way. Do you? That um, he could he could try to do what they they do now. Yeah. No. 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 I I I agree with that. Um, I, I just think that the, the, the way you, you can make things timeless if you boil it down to the proto story, if you boil it down to the, the universal themes, the, the human behaviors that are repeatable regardless of the environment. That's what makes Gilgamesh work today. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm not sure how to, you know, the pressures from the story arc people can be dealt with if you have an actual story arc. You can do it. You just need your characters fully realized up front. Um, So, I mean, there have been series that that were, and even, let's talk about, um, you know, I mean, the, 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 the original Star Trek. Roddenberry wrote a writer's guide and then gave it to, you know, Harlan Ellison and, and uh, Theodore Sturgeon and Robert Bloch and people like that. And so now you have the opportunity for a massive continuity issue because one week Spock has a sister and the next week he doesn't. But they managed to hold that together, even though there are plenty of continuity issues there. Yeah. And I, I maintain that's a better approach than like hiring J.J. Abrams to say, over the next seven years, these people will follow this story arc. Screw that. The world doesn't work that way. Reality doesn't work that way. And I would love that anthologic approach, and I don't mean like Twilight Zone where it's a different story every week, although that's fine with me, but I would rather have a premise with a writer's guide, and I send it out to a ton of different people and let them do their own thing, and then I'll be in charge of continuity. And you get much better story over a much longer time period than you would hiring a specific writing team to achieve a particular purpose. Because nobody then comes in to get in the way of the purpose. They're always focused on that goal. Well, that's not the way the world works. The world works with stuff coming out of left field and screwing up your goal and you figuring out a way to get back to it. Well, I think the, the really good example of, of you know, an, 
arc working and and when it doesn't work is when he does farm it out is is uh, Babylon 5 you know you've got yeah the first season is pretty shitty really yeah. there's a couple of okay episodes and there's a couple of good ideas in there but the first season is pretty shitty and then by the second season he he says now forget about this everybody's going to write something i'm going to write it and for the next uh 3 seasons he writes every episode and that's when the story is like, whoa, now he's really taking over. And, and he does, he has an overall vision, but more importantly, he also uh, is able to accommodate the fact that, oh, that actor doesn't want to work on the show. Fine, she's dead. And we'll right. bring in somebody else who isn't exactly the same, but who can f- fulfill that piece of the puzzle that I need for later on. And then when the he gets that bonus season, right, uh, yeah. he... He's it's sort of aftermath and it doesn't feel as good, and right. and you know even the Neil Gaiman episode. Neil Gaiman's a great writer. It's not it's not nearly as good as any of the the middle stuff where he had that story arc happening, and he's in tight control of he knows exactly where he wants to take this. Right, right. I'm not saying it doesn't work both ways, and I think Straczynski or was that his name? Yeah, Straczynski. Yeah. yeah. Um, in this case. The, the the central concept was more related to his vision. Um, it wasn't a vehicle. Okay, there's an aspect to store to, to these anthological approaches that that have to do with vehicle. And and so, for example, um, Doctor Who is mm-hmm. a great a great vehicle. You can go anywhere, anytime, any person. He, I mean, the guy can change himself. I mean, if you think about this. Somebody at the BBC said, put on a kid's show in the early 60s. And somebody else said, well, what do we got laying around the prop room? Yeah, exactly. Said, well, That's we, how we all the shows were shot. It's true. We got this old phone booth. You know, we go, well, all right, well, let's make that the ship. And so when you let that drive the, the premise, you end up with a vehicle that can go anywhere. And, and Babylon 5 was not a vehicle that could go anywhere. Babylon 5 was a vehicle that had to go somewhere specific that was inside Straczynski's head. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's funny because, you know, uh, when you said vehicle, I thought, oh, you mean uh, the Starship Enterprise, right? And, of course, with Babylon 5, it's, it's a stationary thing, right? Right, right. No, no I meant the vehicle of the Yeah, suit. I got you, I got you. Okay, okay. So, it, it's... You know, there some it, it is. It would be very simple for me to construct a framework that would be an extremely popular, omnidirectional um, uh, premise for a show. But trying to get it on the air um, and and worrying about whether the dancing toilet paper company is going to care. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it, you're just entering too many things. I mean, when when I write, I am God. I sit in the center of my universe. I create it. I make every single decision, and nobody is in my way. And as soon as I involve somebody else in it, or try to convert it into a different media, I, I'm going to run into all these problems. I'm no longer God. And in most cases, I'm something they scrape off their shoe. Let's cut it off there. That sounds good. Okay. Let's scrape it right here. Scrape. Let's just scrape you off right there. (laughs) Lovely. 
This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. He was naked? Uh, Aren't you always born naked? I guess. Uh, If you know of an exception to that rule, let me know. (laughs) 